Hey everybody, we are starting our look at the book of Jeremiah this week. It's a long book. It's a bit of a hard book to read at times for a number of reasons, but it's an important book for reasons that we are going to get into shortly. Now, if you have a Bible with you, that would probably be helpful, especially this week. We're going to be reading a lot of Jeremiah 1 as we go through today. So go and grab a Bible, pause the podcast so that you can follow along with us. It'll make things a little bit easier. I happen to be using the translation of John Goldengay, who was my Old Testament professor in seminary. And he has a whole series of books called The Old Testament for Everyone that are really uh, accessible and kind of in a, a devotional style and go through uh, some of the important parts of each book of the Old Testament. And so I'm using his translation because I like it. And so there'll be some similarities with what your Bible translation uh, reads like, but there's probably going to be some differences too. There's some things that I like how uh, Golden Gay does things a little differently and breaks us out of some of, I don't know, some of the habits and the kind of common ways of, of talking that we're used to in the, in the Bible and gets us to look at and think about the words a little bit differently because it hits us a little bit differently. So anyhow, if there's differences between your translation, the one I'm reading, use those to spark some curiosity. We're going to jump right in with the first verses of Jeremiah, and it starts like this. The messages of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anatot in Benjamin's territory, to whom Yahweh's message came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, and came in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until Jerusalem's exile in the fifth month. That's quite a sentence. And we'll unpack it a bit more, including some of the historical significance of a lot of those names in the Backdrop podcast, which we're starting up again uh, for this series, since we're doing a lot of Bible study as we go through it. So if you're interested in a little bit more of the backdrop of the passages of Jeremiah that we are looking at on any given week, they will be in the Backdrop pod. For now, our key phrases are these. To whom Yahweh's message came because that indicates what exactly Jeremiah is bringing in this book, and until Jerusalem's exile. And I want to focus in on that last one, that last phrase, until Jerusalem's exile in the fifth month, because it tells us the end of this story. This book we are about to read is a record of Yahweh's words to the people of Israel, warning them of the terrible thing that is coming their way. But the book is written for the people who have already experienced it. The people this book was written for had already seen their city destroyed, the temple to their God thrown down, their friends and family members killed. They had already been taken into exile in Babylon. So the question this book is written to answer is not what is going to happen. It's why did that happen to us? And also, what do we do now? Now that we've gone into exile, now that the foundations of our identity is the people of God, which are the promised land and the temple, now that those have been taken from us, now what? Now that the world we knew, the one we thought was settled and secure, has been turned upside down, now what? Now that what we thought were the non-negotiable foundations of our faith have been called into question, now what? Now that our way of living with and worshiping our God just doesn't work anymore, it isn't even possible anymore. Now what? That is what the book of Jeremiah is intended to answer for those in exile. And that's why we're going to be spending a good amount of time in this book over the coming months, because in the midst of this pandemic and Zoom church and all the rest, we have some of those same questions. Why is this happening to us? What now? 
now that maybe the foundations of our identity have been taken from us in, in terms of a job or friendships. What now? Now that what we thought was a settled and secure world has been turned upside down, what now? Now that our way of living with and worshiping our God doesn't work anymore, what now, now that we are, in some sense, in exile? But we were planning on going through Jeremiah before all of this hit because, for many of us, at least, our sense of exile might go deeper than the acute crisis of COVID-19. For many Christians, there has been a growing sense of uneasiness. As we look around at our world and the church's place in that world, each year the percentage of people who reject religious labels, the nuns as they are sometimes called by sociologists because they have no religious affiliation, each year that percentage goes up. Each year, at least in certain parts of the country and with certain demographics, following Jesus seems more and more strange. Now, some of you remember a time when that wasn't the case, when Christianity or Jesus seemed a little bit more central to our culture. Some of you, this is all you've ever known. But for some of you, you remember a time when self-identifying as a Christian, even an evangelical Christian, was relatively uncomplicated for you. And worshiping and following God inside a community of evangelical Christians felt right. Now, you aren't so sure. We've had lots of these conversations as we started this church, but many of us have talked about having some feeling of being left out of what most churches are doing right now, not quite belonging anymore. Whether because you've shifted or what it means to be an evangelical seems to have moved, you find that for one reason or another, the way you used to follow faithfully just isn't possible anymore. You find yourself in some sense in exile. Why did this happen? Now what? Those are the questions we're going to bring to Jeremiah, and we want to spend some time here so we can listen and listen to how the words of Yahweh to one group of disoriented exiles might speak to another one today. So back to Jeremiah. This first chapter is the introduction to this book. It introduces the themes and ideas that God wants the exiles in Babylon to wrestle with. And I think it serves to bring to mind for those exiles that whole prophetic cycle that we talked about a couple weeks ago on Palm Sunday. That cycle that happened again and again in the Old Testament and is happening again in the book of Jeremiah and might still happen today in some sense, I think. The cycle of God calling people to be God's partners and bringing life and justice and beauty to the world. But then of those people falling into idolatry and injustice going away from the things that God had intended them to be doing. Then third, God sending prophets to give warning, to call people back to repentance, back to God, back to the mission that God has given us to partner with God to do. But inevitably, as this cycle plays out, there's a sense of complacency among the people. They don't listen. They ignore the prophets, sometimes violently so. And so the thing the prophets warned about, destruction, comes. Rejection exile. And that looks as if it is the end of the story. But as happens time and time again in scripture, the cycle swings back around to hope. There's a restoration of a new and faithful people. The book of Jeremiah works with that same cycle, tells a story that fits with that same cycle. And this first chapter, this introduction, introduces it for the people who are in exile. 
And I want to take a few minutes here today to look at that and see how that happens in this first chapter of Jeremiah. So first, we get Jeremiah's calling, starting in verse 4. Yahweh's message came to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I set you apart. I made you a prophet concerning the nations. I said, oh, Lord Yahweh, really, I don't know how to speak because I am a young man. But Yahweh said to me, don't say I'm a young man because you are to go out to anyone to whom I send you and speak anything that I command you. Don't be afraid of their faces because I will be with you to rescue you. Yahweh's words. Yahweh put out his hand and touched my mouth and Yahweh said to me, I am putting my words into your mouth. See, I'm appointing you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms, to uproot and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and plant. One of the things that would have been obvious to the first readers of this book would be the way that Jeremiah's call tracks with the calls of previous prophets, of Moses, who also objects that he just doesn't speak good, of Samuel, who is set apart as God's prophet from before birth, of Gideon, who in Judges 6, in a really interesting story, is visited by the angel of Yahweh, who tells him that he is going to deliver Israel from their enemies. And Gideon's answer is, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I'm just a youth. Almost the very same objection as Jeremiah's. And God's answer to Gideon is word for word the same as God's answer to Moses is word for word the same as God's answer to Jeremiah. I will be with you. Jeremiah is intentionally being portrayed as a prophet in the mold of Moses and Gideon and the other prophets of old. And the reason for that is to remind the exiles of this cycle that happened every time a prophet showed up on the scene. And almost as if to really nail the point home, If those exiles first reading this book, if they heard these echoes of the story of Gideon and remembered the story of Gideon, they would also remember this part of the story. The angel of Yahweh who hails Gideon begins by saying, Yahweh is with you, mighty warrior. And listen to what Gideon says back. Imagine you're an exile in Babylon, remembering what Gideon says back. Gideon answered him, but sir, if Yahweh is with us, Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of God's wonderful deeds that our ancestors told us about, saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? But now Yahweh has cast us off. It's as if God is saying to the exiles, You wonder the same thing, don't you? Where is this God that we were told about who delivers us from our enemies? Why has Yahweh cast us off to exile? And God is saying to them, Hey, Gideon wondered the same thing, and look what I did then. You are now in the same place that Israel was in the time of Gideon. I came through then, and I'll come through now. And just like then, it won't be because I choose the most powerful or prestigious voices. It will happen through someone like Gideon, this weak youth, Jeremiah. Listen to him the way you listened to Gideon. There's something about God choosing the weak and the insignificant. It happens all through scripture. Choosing the younger brother over and over, like Moses, incidentally, who was Aaron's younger brother, choosing women and slaves and prostitutes and prisoners to be God's partners in doing God's work, calling people like Gideon, like Jeremiah, like us maybe. Because when God has a calling, whether a big, obviously earth-shaking one like this in Jeremiah, or 
as seemingly smaller, but how do we know? Maybe just as significant in some way, calling like, like you or I might receive. What matters is not our power, our eloquence, our significance. What matters is whether or not God is with us. Whether or not we will be faithful to that calling. As it says here in Jeremiah, whether we will go to anyone to whom God sends us, speak anything God commands us. In other words, what matters is trust. Do we trust God to be with us and to deliver us? Jeremiah, though unpracticed and weak, says yes. Israel, as we will see, says no. But now, the exiles, the ones who said no, are being given another chance. A chance to change their minds and trust God again because God's way of calling Jeremiah. God could have called Jeremiah any way he wanted to, but God chooses to call Jeremiah in a way that would have called their minds back to that cycle that had played out again and again in the past. God is saying to those in exile, this cycle has happened again. How are you going to respond? And obviously the exiles have all lived through this. They all know what happened. But sometimes we can live through something and not really get it. You know, so this introductory chapter spells it out. Verse 16 brings the charge against Israel that they have stopped trusting God. They've abandoned me, God says. They've burned sacrifices to other gods, bowed down to things their hands made. They made idols, just like their ancestors. They put their trust there. And because of that, destruction is coming. Verse 13 has this great image. Yahweh's message came to me a second time. What are you looking at? I said, I'm looking at a boiling pot with its mouth facing from the north. Jeremiah sees a pot of soup or something that has slipped off its footing and is kind of tilted sideways, threatening to pour boiling liquid out on the ground around it. Yahweh said to me, from the north, evil will open out on all the residents of the country. Destruction is coming. But there's a chance to repent. Will they? Well, verse 18 God says to Jeremiah, I, here I am, making you a fortified city today, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the entire country. For Judah's kings and its officers, for its priests and the people of the country, they will battle against you, but they won't overcome you because I will be with you. Yahweh's words to rescue you. So God has again sent a prophet to warn, to beg, to plead with Israel to return to God. But all that prophet will receive for his troubles is that the king's officers, priests, and all the people will battle against him. The exiles know this was true. They didn't listen to Jeremiah. And now the book of Jeremiah is pointing it out to them. Not as an I told you so sort of thing, but again, to highlight exactly where they are in this recognizable recurring cycle. One that Israel has been through before a lot. (laughs) Israel wasn't faithful. They stopped trusting God. They ignored and even battled against God's prophets sent to warn them. And then destruction came. And now here they are in exile, far from home, maybe thinking they are far from God. What now? And I think in this first introductory chapter, we get an answer to that question too. But it's in hints, hints that are kind of sprinkled through the passage, little glimmers that are not the main focus of the chapter, little glimmers of hope. 
Just like the hope only comes in little glimmers for much of the book that is to come, but it's there if we look. Jeremiah is not calling to mind that cycle that I keep referring to just to explain what happened already. Because every time that cycle has shown up previously, with Moses, with Gideon, with Samuel, and all the rest, the story doesn't end with destruction. It keeps going. There is always a remnant, an exodus, a renewed people of God on the other side. Jeremiah is inviting the people in exile to a renewed imagination, an imagination that can see past the current destruction, death, pain, exile, to the future when God will once again show God's faithfulness by bringing new life, just like God has time and time again. It's hard to see right now when we are in the midst of the exile part of the cycle. It doesn't seem like the new life is coming. Which is why Jeremiah reminds the exiles of all the times God has done it before. Through Moses, through Gideon. It's why in verse 10, if you look back there, where Jeremiah's main task is articulated. There's six things that God says Jeremiah's message is to do. The first four proclaim destruction. But then there's two final words. To build and to plant. Jeremiah's mission is not just to tear down because now... The time has come to build up, to plant a new expression of God's people in exile, characterized by renewed faithfulness to and trust in God, waiting in hope in exile, but for the new life that God will bring. The first word God gives to Jeremiah, it comes through a tree branch, and it's an example of how the glimmers of hope are there if you look for them. In verse 11, it says this, Yahweh's message came to me. What are you looking at, Jeremiah? I said, I'm looking at the branch of an almond or watcher tree. Yahweh said to me, you've done well to look at it because I'm watching over my message to put it into effect. The immediate message of this word from God is that Yahweh's words of destruction will surely come to pass. God is faithful to God's promises. And the first thing the exiles might think of is that God faithfully brought destruction just like Jeremiah had predicted. But then they might have noticed, if they kept thinking, another, little more hidden message in this same vision. The almond tree was sometimes called the watcher tree because it was the first tree to bloom after winter, as if it were watching for spring to come, watching for new life to break out. Just like the exiles, waiting for spring, just like the exiles were waiting for God to be faithful to God's promises of redemption. And so Jeremiah is inviting those in exile to wait in hope for spring to come, because with God, it always does. So in this story of the call to Jeremiah in the first chapter of his book, those of us in exile can hear a call to us as well. It's the same call that Jeremiah received Not to be a prophet who tears down and proclaims destruction, probably, but rather the call to live in exile faithfully, to put our trust in God, not in the idols of the culture around us. In other words, to live as if God is the one who will help us be well, help us live the good life, so to speak. 
not money or security or health or education or Instagram followers or whatever else our culture tells us to look to for those same security of the good life. Because when we put our trust in this God, whatever challenges, whatever opponents, whatever suffering, whatever might come against us, as it says in verse 19 to close the chapter, they will battle against you, but they won't overcome you because I will be with you. Yahweh's words to rescue you. Let that be true of us as we live in exile. Amen.